I am Alon Ben-Mir and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Patrick Thoris, President of the U.S. Qatar Business Council. With a 36-year career in the United States Foreign Service, Patrick has held numerous diplomatic roles, including Deputy Chief of Mission and Political Officer in Amman, Deputy Chief of Mission in Abu Dhabi, and Ambassador of the United States to the State of Qatar from 1995 to 1998. You can find his full bio on the page for this episode. But, you know, perhaps you will not talk a little bit about Turkey and Greece. Yeah, <laughs> that is another place where I get very... Uh, I have a lot of misgivings. I believe just trying to read within the lines of what Mr. Trump has been saying, is that he basically has a spheres of influence view of the world. In other words, I'm going to let the Russians take care of this, I'm going to let other powerful countries take care of that, and as long as we understand where the lines are between us, I'm not going to interfere. And I believe Mr. Erdogan is both, in addition to being equally as narcissistic and as uh, oh, yeah. power-hungry as... Uh, as Putin and Trump and others like that. I think Mr. Erdogan has a vision of the Turkey that he wants, which is a Turkey that may not own everything in the neighborhood, but runs Oh, it means not everything. I think he's got a vision <laughs> of restoring the glory, quote-unquote, of the Ottoman, of the Ottoman Empire. Empire. Yeah. And all you have to do is look at his, the castle he built yeah, for himself. Exactly. <laughs> now, he has, he has a problem in his ability to execute this in part depends on his ability to maintain order and prosperity and so forth in Turkey. And uh, he clearly misjudged. He created, helped create Frankenstein's monster. I think his early support for the extremists in Syria uh, has turned on him. These are, uh, you can support these people, but they're not grateful. They, yes, yeah. They're yeah. not grateful at all. They've turned on him. He also, for domestic reasons, precipitated a fight that he didn't need to fight with the Kurds. So now he has some rather severe internal problems. Major, major, <clears throat> I think, with the Kurds, and also very, very unhappy populace. Right. You know, you know he has support from those, mm -hmm. that the, the poor, yeah. the less educated, mm -hmm. who have had, you know, their lives very difficult, you know, before he yeah. came. And he came up with the economic development. He did exceptionally well the first yeah. seven, eight years. Yeah, I, I thought he was wonderful. It's a great, yeah, reformed social, mm -hmm. political, economic development. And he, you know, he rose to this stature. Like I mentioned in my last article, you wonder, you could have achieved all of that and some mm -hmm. by just continuing this program. Yeah. Why reverse everything? Yeah. I think it's because his foreign affairs, his idea of restoring glory was maybe 10 or 20 years too soon. He had not yet built up Turkey to the point where Turkey could have the strength to impose its will on its neighbors. And now he stirred up pot in Syria and Iraq from which he has difficulty extricating himself. And what worries me is that he is beginning to prematurely, if being very cold-blooded about this, if my intent is to revise the Treaty of Lausanne. I have to do it at a moment when uh, when I have the strength to do it and others don't have the strength to stop me. So he raised it now 
which I think is completely the wrong, uh, very premature. Uh, but he has now raised it. He has now raised alarm bells among his neighbors. Exactly. And not just, you know, you remember when he mm -hmm. visited like a year or so after the Arab, uh, <laughs> so-called Arab Spring, uh, he went to Egypt and, mm -hmm. and basically, you know, he was trying to say, well, Turkey can do this, you can yeah. emulate <coughs> our democracy. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the time, what's his name was in power. Morsi said to him, you know what, you know, you keep your democracy, That's we right. know what we need to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so he was rebuffed. Mm -hmm. And this whole uh, no zero problems with neighbors mm -hmm. has now become a problem, problem with every neighbor. Yeah. yeah. And the issue now is this has been a constant, looking at it from the Greek point of view, the Turkish publications in the Aegean in the past were regarded as manageable. Yes. Uh, because the Turks were basically pursuing more abstract, you know, seabed exploitation, economic issues. They were never questioning the sovereignty of Greece over the islands of the Aegean. Now, Erdogan has laid open the entire question of sovereignty over, you know, a very, a very important part uh, of the Greek territory. That's right, that's right. And where, what this does is it raises the ante, it raises the stakes, because now the likelihood of something going wrong and then not, likelihood of something going wrong has always existed. Let me rephrase that. Yes, and no, there's no question. Yeah, the no consequences question. of that have changed. Because now, if let's say a Turkish airplane overflies a Greek island and a Greek airplane shoots it down, in the past, the general staffs of both sides were well aware of the need to calm, calm things, things down. down. Yes. Calm yes. things down. Yes. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, the stakes have changed. Did the Greeks shoot down this Turkish airplane over an island that really should belong to Turkey? National pride has now been affected on one side. National survival is affected on the other. And one of the things, speaking to the people that I know in the Greek military, has been their concern that with the decapitation of the Turkish military. Oh yes. Erdogan has replaced the people they knew and knew how to deal with. Precisely. With new, younger, younger, less experienced people, are also people who are now more dependent on Erdogan politically. Exactly. For their, uh, for their jobs and yeah. their careers. Yeah. So their worry is that there will be an incident at some point, and the old mechanism of tamping it down will not be functioning. And the ability and the likelihood that this could then get out of hand climbs. I'm, I, for the life of me, I cannot imagine Erdogan sitting down with the general staff one day and saying, "We need to invade Greece." I don't, I don't see this as. I a, mean, but of course, there is also a question of the rest of Europe. I mean, yeah, he, Turkey, is a member of NATO. Mm -hmm. Greece is a member mm -hmm. of NATO, and and how that and it's, I cannot imagine the British, the French, the main. There is players. only one country that has prevented this from getting out of hand. Uh, in 1980, uh, 1988, there was a major incident that got out of hand when uh, Tansu Çiller was Prime Minister of Turkey, and I forget who the Greek Prime Minister, Asimidis, was the Greek Prime Minister. And Tansu Çiller, feeling her own power sort of slipping away, encouraged people to be more aggressive in mm -hmm. the Aegean. And there was an incident involving a relatively, a very small, 
and completely uninhabited island called Emia in Greek, Kardak in Turkish. That has been generally accepted to be on the Greek side of the border for years, but the island is so magnificently unimportant that no one really paid yeah. attention to it. And all of a sudden, there was a, a Turkish cargo ship, a small cargo ship, uh, ran aground on the island. Yes, yes. Greek Coast Guard went to take it off. Turks objected. The Turkish Coast Guard went, and then all of a sudden escalated from Coast Guards to regular forces. And at one point, it got to the point where there were Turkish commandos on the island. The Greeks had landed commandos. Uh, this thing was escalating like mad. A Greek Navy helicopter crashed under strange circumstances. A friend of mine was the commander, was the area commander on the Greek side of the Navy. Yeah. The Greeks were begging the Europeans and NATO to get involved. And they both disappeared. I actually had the impression the Turks were actually hoping that someone would interfere yeah, as well. Stuff, uh, yeah. yeah. But well, both Europe and the formal NATO structure walked away. They had nothing they did not want to get involved. It was something that the foreign ministries of Europe just walked away from it entirely. And at a certain time, I think it was something like 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, my friend the Admiral receives an instruction from Athens that it's weapons free. He is, he doesn't have to shoot. He doesn't have to ask Athens before he can shoot at somebody. I see. And about two hours later, he gets this very cryptic message, the Virgin Mary be with you, from General Headquarters. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, in Athens. And I get my Zeus, which in Greek, I was really, you know, man, you're on your own. <laughs> and at that point, I mean, all his all his ships had, had gone to General Quarters. Everybody was loaded for bear when Clinton called the Greek Prime Minister and the Turkish Prime Minister and said, are you out of your mind? It was Clinton literally screamed at both Prime Ministers. I don't know if he got him on a conference call or if the call was in series, but it was, you're out of your minds and accompanied by some bad language. Right, right. And both countries sort of breathed a sigh of relief and everything stepped down. But literally, according to my friend, he thought that they were between two and four hours away from a major clash involving significant forces on both sides. Right, right. Uh, and had Clinton not called, he thought that the clash was inevitable. He had made up his mind No, this clash I, I, is coming. Clinton once was, um, yeah. had a good but sense the, of what... The point that I'm trying to make is that Europe disappeared. Europe completely disappeared, and NATO disappeared. NATO as a structure. It was the United States as the United States that but, intervened. But from what you see, NATO, there's two members of NATO fighting one another. NATO has no mechanism for dealing with it. There was no mechanism. It. That's the problem. They have no mechanism for yeah. dealing with this. Yeah. Yeah. Europe could, because I'm reasonably certain that if Europe tomorrow declared these are the borders of Europe, and Europe may not have the military force of NATO, but still, Europe collectively is something that you don't want if a French frigate or... A Italian frigate showed up in the in the Eastern Aegean and said, we're here to defend the borders of Europe, I think you would see a drop in, uh, in the tensions. But they're not doing it. The concept of Europe as a political structure, I think, has not set, it's not settled in, in the European foreign ministries. And what concerns me 
is that should this thing get out of hand again, is every indication from Mr. Trump are, one, he sort of likes the Erdogan type. So I don't know how well Erdogan is going to be able to cultivate him, but I think he's going to make a major effort to cultivate him. But more importantly, I fear that Mr. Trump's reaction is going to be, I don't have a dog in that fight. This is not my problem. But at this point, you know, at this point, you know, the conflict between the two sides mm -hmm. is focusing more and more on, on northern Cyprus. Mm. Isn't it? No. Cyprus has, both sides have managed to isolate Cyprus. There's ongoing talks. The UN is involved. Everybody's involved. Uh, the conflict is the Aegean. These islands. Yeah, which are a very significant part of the population of the, and the landmass of the country. These are very important. These are large islands. 50,000, 100,000 population. And but mostly, right mostly uh, Greece, no? 100, Greece. Except for Rhodes, 100% Greek. Yeah. So why would, would uh, Erdogan make claim against this island? Um, I mean, <clears throat> historically, wouldn't they constantly been uh, inhabited by Greece? Yeah, but so was the coast opposite. Before 1922, the coast opposite was inhabited by Greeks until they were expelled in 1922-23. But the... They were, my mother was born a Turkish citizen in 1909. I see. The islands were not freed by Greece until 1912. Yeah. And it was not until the Treaty of Lausanne, there was an agreement between Greece and Turkey after the Balkan Wars, in which Turkey sort of ceded the islands, but it was the Treaty of Lausanne with the Republic, in which the Republic of Turkey formally ceded the, these islands to Greece. And Erdogan has gotten up now, and his, official, his position is, that the people who negotiated the Treaty of Lausanne on Turkey's behalf, the Turks who negotiated them, were traitors. Yeah, well, of course. Or drunks. <laughs> yeah, they're drunks and traitors. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Now, now um, what's the, the potential, the prospect of both countries getting into serious confrontation at this point? I think it's more than before because Erdogan has more problems than previous Turkish governments had. And, I mean, he clearly is trying to, it's like Putin is developing the outside enemies for Russia. And Trump is developing outside enemies, you know, the China and, and things like this. So I think Erdogan has, for the last year or two, increasingly tried to divert attention of the Turkish population away from their domestic problems to their but 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 he's also backed down now to some extent. Well, I don't think he wants a war. Syria? I don't think he wants uh, a war. No, let me make this very clear. Yeah. I do not believe that Erdogan wants a war. What I'm afraid of is that with the deterioration in his control of the Turkish state and of the apparatus of the Turkish state, that has deteriorated a great uh, deal, especially the last few years. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. on top of that, he is building this popular image of these lost lands as part of his domestic political uh, campaign, is how do I maintain myself? And he's building this, uh, this image. So my worry is you have, at the moment, two reasonably incompetent governments. You have a Greek government that is, when I say incompetent, that's the wrong term, but uh, two governments that are overwhelmed by their other problems. Mm -hmm. The Greek government is thoroughly overwhelmed by its economic problems. Yes, economic crisis. That's okay. right. Yeah. And they, you can't actually get them to focus. Other than the Minister of Defense, there's nobody else in the Greek government who will even talk about... Uh, the Greek government was hoping that the Greek courts 
would allow them to turn these eight officers over to Turkey. There was a, a matter of fact, you could see the difference in the Ministry of Defense and the Prime Minister on this one. And then the Greek courts just ruled today that they can't be sent back to Turkey. You have the Europeans who are, and Mrs. Merkel, who are focused entirely on how do we prevent Erdogan from releasing more refugees across the Aegean. Yeah. They're not focused on those issues. But he's in a, basically in a position to blackmail the... Yeah, he is blackmailing he's the blackmailing the European community. Yeah. There's no question, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we're now in this situation yeah. where you have a more unstable situation. Uh, you have a Turkish military that, in which it's now run by generals who were colonels a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, you have a domestic narrative in Turkey that we are, what's what I'm looking for? You know, we've been, we have problems and the problems have been caused by people from the outside and we've been harmed in the past. Yeah. We've, uh, we've been disadvantaged. We were betrayed by our Kemalist leaders of the past. And all these things, uh, you know, Mosul belongs to Turkey, the Aegean Islands were signed away unfairly. So you put all these things together and you are creating an environment for some really stupid second lieutenant to do something very yeah. bad. Yeah. And it's that sort of environment. You don't have... I mean, when Hamas fires rockets at Israel or somebody from Lebanon fires rockets at Israel, the reaction is not the commander on the ground the decision to react goes all the way to the top exactly, yeah. of the Israeli military. Yeah. And the Israeli military knows how to manage this. What I'm afraid is at the top of the Turkish military, you no longer have the experience and the maturity yes, and I, the appreciation yeah, yeah. of the dangers involved. Yeah. And they're worried that if they lose a couple of airplanes, and this, that, I mean, to me, the danger now is what if we lose an airplane? What if an airplane, the Greeks shoot down a Turkish airplane? You saw the Soviet, the Soviet, I keep forgetting these terms, the Russian reaction to losing an airplane. Putin is a lot stronger than Erdogan domestically. Erdogan loses an airplane that violated uh, over the Aegean, and particularly if there's even the slightest... Yeah, but on that, I mean, I mean, Turkey cannot challenge Russia. No, but I'm saying if he loses an airplane yeah. over Greece... Yeah, yeah, it's different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, in terms of military balance between the two countries, there's still who, who, whose navy is stronger. Uh, the Ar Turkish army is stronger, but it's tied up elsewhere. Yeah, and the terrain favors the Greeks. The terrain favors the Greeks on a ge geographically on the defensive. The Greeks have no ground capacity to invade Turkey. No, of course not. Yeah, but they have the capacity to hold the Turkish army for three or four days, which is what everybody, at least three or four days, uh, perhaps longer. The two navies can maul each other. I think in the end, the Greek navy will come out the more successful. The real question is, Greek defense policy is based on absorbing the first strike. In other words, they will not start the war. Yeah. So yeah. they've built a military that is designed essentially to... But I also prepare to, to counter back. strike back. Strike know. back. But the first strike will come in their direction. Therefore, they've built a military that has literally the most complex and densest air defense environment in Europe. 
for the amount of territory covered, the Greeks have more air defense missiles than the Israelis do. Uh, they have more than any other country in Europe. They have Hawk batteries, they have Patriot batteries, they have middle-range, short-range missiles, and lots of them. So they're an extremely complex air defense capability. I understand, uh, I understand that Israel and, and, uh, and Greece are fully cooperating. <clears throat> right now yeah. they're cooperating quite well. Yeah, quite well. Uh, yeah. I think uh, the Greeks worry as well because the cooperation with Israel is relatively new. So I think uh, when I talk to them, it's a little bit of, they're not quite sure what Israel's, they're happy to, en they're enjoying it very much right now. But one of the things that worries them a bit is what were Israel's motivations on it, what the Greeks saw as changing sides. Well, um, um, based on what I know, um, you know, the Israel, obviously Netanyahu would like to expand friendship and relationship, mm -hmm. yeah. whichever country is open yeah. to mm -hmm. that. He has no design, right. obviously, territorial design, anything like this, against uh, Greece. Now that there's a discovery of gas, there's more opportunities mm -hmm. to work with the Greeks. Israel has also interest in um, improving, <coughs> selling military mm -hmm. equipment to Greece, right. and Greece has been buying mm -hmm. quite a bit military hardware from Israel. So Israelis have that kind of interest. Mm -hmm. They don't have any uh, territorial Grand strategic interest. No, no, not really. So, so maybe you, you correct me. I mean, if you know anything, you know something about it. They were even talking about military cooperation, military training together. They're, they're doing that. Exercising. They're doing that. They're yeah. doing a lot of that. Yeah. Where I think the... Which the, Tur the Kurds don't, just don't like. No, Turks don't, don't like because it was being done with Turkey before. Yeah. Uh, it has not reached the level of military cooperation that Israel had with Turkey 10 years ago. 10 years ago, the military cooperation was extremely strong. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing was that the Israeli, the, the Jewish American community in the United States was beginning to walk away from their support for the Greek American community, which was probably had the Greeks more worried than, uh, I mean, they, didn't, they never expected Israel to go to war against them, and Turkey did, but they were seeing an erosion in support among the Americans. But why is that? Because it was basically as the Jewish American community saw Israel getting closer and closer to Turkey, uh, the Turks played this role. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and but the, now even the, the resume of diplomatic relationship, yeah. Israelis' friend tell me, mm -hmm. it will never, yeah. ever yeah. One of go the, back yeah. to the way it yeah. used to be yeah. mm -hmm. because we don't trust Erdogan as far as we yeah. can throw him. Yeah. One of the things that I think uh, made a difference back 10 years ago, Turks have an extremely good diplomatic service. The Turkish diplomatic service is among, uh, among less than the leading countries in the world is one of the best. Their traditions go all the way back to the Byzantine Empire. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and they're very good at it. So when Israeli-Turkish relations were good, Turkish diplomats were all over APAC. They were all over the American Jewish community. And they were working very hard because after 74, I think out of sympathy between two hyphenated communities, the United States, Greek-American, Jewish-American, the Jewish American community had been extremely supportive of the Greek position with regard to Cyprus. Yeah. And, a couple of yeah. Things. and in the last few years before things went bad, before Erdogan's rent on Gaza, for example, the Greek American community could no longer count on what had been the automatic support of 
the representatives of the Jewish community in the United States in Congress. Right. And that was beginning to erode, and it was eroding in ways that people found very disturbing. But it has changed. Like it has changed back. Quite a bit. Yeah, yes, it's changed it has back. changed back. Yeah. Yes. It has changed back a bit. Yeah, yeah. What we still have is, I think, uh, Turkish diplomats try very hard. They are very good at what they do. I, I take my hat off to... Uh, yeah, but except that, except that they do, they do that well... But they, as far as Israel is concerned, they, they lost a great deal of credibility. Oh, they've lost a lot of credibility. This, this is, it's and, no longer, uh, and I don't think it can be restored as long as Erdogan yeah. is in power. So Israelis will deal with Turkey where they feel it yeah. served their interest. Yeah. But they will not aid Turkey in terms of providing. We used to, like, <coughs> they, they used to upgrade their airplanes, they used yeah. to do this, sell them a great deal of I don't think Turkey the bank. military transfer issue is the important one. Uh, I think the, the important one, uh, Cyprus, by the way, let me differentiate Greece from Cyprus. Cyprus is trying to develop as close ties to Israel as possible. The most wonderful thing Cyprus did for Israel uh, was that after, there was an incident about four years ago, three years ago, where uh, Erdogan said that Cyprus cannot develop its side of the gas fields without Turkish permission, yeah, yeah. all sorts of things, and actually sent a couple of warships through the territory. And at that point, the Israeli Air Force sent four airplanes over northern Cyprus. They just flew across northern Cyprus slowly so that everybody could, could see, see them. them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and from the Cypriot point of view, this was wonderful. And what the Cypriots are trying to do very hard, political point of view, is lock their exploitation of the gas fields. With Israel. With Israel. Yes. So that yeah. basically an attack on them is an attack on uh, yeah. Israeli interests. Yeah. Yeah. And so from the Cypriot point of view, that's another reason why I don't think if something goes wrong, I don't think it will come in Cyprus. Where wrong between... Between Greece and Turkey, Greece and, Turkey. Greece and Cyprus on one side, and Turkey and the but other. But how do you see? Uh, do you really think? Because I mean, I don't see how you can separate the problem with with Greece between Greece and Turkey, and Greece and Turkey and Cyprus. Yeah, you can. This the, the well, how, how do you manage? I mean, diplomatically well, speaking, how do you diplomatically the two countries support each other a lot. Uh, the Greeks go out of their way to say this is a Cypriot sovereign issue. Cypriots need to settle this. The Turkish Cypriots have a problem uh, because they are been unable to demonstrate that they are independent of, of Turkey. But the flashpoints are no longer in Cyprus. The economic relationship between the two parts of Cyprus has grown. What the Cypriot government, for example, has done, the Republic of Cyprus government has done, has taken the position that anybody who can prove that he was a citizen of the Republic of Cyprus before 1974 is a citizen of the Republic of Cyprus. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Therefore, yeah. they've been issuing Cypriot passports. Uh, and to, I many, to many Turks. To many Turkish Cypriots, yeah, yeah. all of whom have now used yeah. the passports to go to England and Germany right, and France. Right, right. And there's a fair amount of cross-border movement now and a little bit of trade. So the two parts of Cyprus, I think, have sort of developed enough ties that there's no flashpoint. There are a lot of Turkish troops on the island. 
there is somewhat of a... I understand like 15, 20,000? 40. 40. Wow, yeah. And they have these many to spare. Yeah. They don't. As a matter of fact, one of the things that amazes a lot of people, including my friends in state, is how with all the problems the Turkish military faces, with all the challenges they face, they still have time to go violate Greek airspace. It is one of the things that is never that just amazes everybody. So now, I just want to talk a little bit about <coughs> what is the prospect of finding a diplomatic solution to the to, about the conflict you know, between Greek and Turkish Cypriots. That is, what sort of political... My understanding is that the Turks wants to have pretty much uh, not equal... This is a federated kind of system right. where they have basically a say mm -hmm. rather than go through general election right. and the majority wins, which will basically would mean that the Turks will be, mm -hmm. will be the minority, will yeah. be subordinated. That part, I think, has been settled. The issues that have not been settled are the boundary. Where is the boundary between... The two sides, the northern two sides. versus, yeah. Yeah, that has not been settled, and that consists of two cities, Famagusta, which has been left uninhabited, and a city named Morfu in the northwest of the island. So that issue has uh, been settled because the Turkish side has been unwilling to put a map yeah. on, the, uh, on the table. The second issue is property. So 200,000 Greek Cypriots came south, Roughly 100,000 Turkish Cypriots went north. They left property behind. The Greek Cypriot side has pretty much, as a bargaining lever, the state has taken over the property abandoned and rents it to people but doesn't uh, sell it. Yeah. On yeah. the Turkish side, they lost track of the process. They, they were less prepared for an autonomous state for, the, for their position. So a lot of properties were simply taken over by neighbors. Mm -hmm. And then the neighbors just sold them to <laughs> to somebody. So before the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus could get its arms around it and get, get its hands around it, a lot of property has now changed hands. It's been sold. It's been rented out. British, uh, there was a famous uh, case in Britain, I forget the name of the case, where the Greek Cypriot owner of a house in northern Cyprus uh, sued the British family that had bought the house from <laughs> yeah. a Turk and won. And won, yeah. And wow. they yeah. won a massive judgment. Uh -huh. It pauperized the British family. And now this applies to another five or 10,000 British uh, Brits who bought the same thing. Yeah, bought property in northern uh, Cyprus. Yeah. So that's the second issue is the resolution of property, where it's not quite clear. Uh, there have been a, a bunch of proposals put forward, most of which, frankly, are not workable. Yeah. But I think the easiest proposal is just to say, okay, get a third, get a neutral third party and say, let's pay the guy in the south that much money and pay the guy in the north. But there's, unfortunately, there are a lot of old people who have emotional attachments to right, these homes right. that make it difficult for both sides. The third issue, and the one that is killing the, uh, the talks, makes the talks impossible, is the question of Turkish troops in Cyprus. 
uh, to the Greek Cypriot side, the presence of a large Turkish military force. That's not almost like twenty uh, percent of the Turkish population. <laughs> the Turkish Cypriots are yeah more more twenty five percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, are it's incredible. Turkish like troops. one soldier for every four yeah. for, uh, for yeah. uh, Kurds mm -hmm. <laughs> for Turks. I mean, this is incredible. So this particular issue is the one where what's the name of the Turkish foreign minister showed up the talks in Switzerland and essentially said if you put the question of Turkish troops on the table we're not participating. So what do they expect? Diplomatic <clears throat> settlement while continue to occupy northern Cyprus? Yeah. That at least is the official position of the Turkish government. And do you think that can be mitigated? I mean knowing Erdogan probably not. I don't know how it can be mitigated. I honest to God uh, and if that is not mitigated, obviously there would be no solution. Yeah, I think we're... We would continue the back yeah, and forth. I think what's going to happen on Cyprus over the next 10 or 20 years, assuming that nothing bad happens elsewhere, is that the two sides will get themselves more and more linked without a formal resolution. But it, what it will mean is that the Turkish Cypriot side will find itself more and more tied the Greek Cypriot side with less freedom of action. But my feeling is that based on what we know, that they really don't have that kind of freedom, given that actually the, the Kurds, the Turks. Turks are watching yeah. 24 hours a but day. I think, <coughs> and they maintain, actually, they want to create real barriers to yeah. the extent they can. Don't you, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, but what's happening is southern Cyprus, the Republic of Cyprus, the territory it occupies, has always been the richer part yeah. of, the, uh, of this. And with the discovery of gas and stuff like that, the economic disparity between the Greek part of the Republic of Cyprus and the Turkish part is going to grow bigger and bigger. I think you're going to find more and more Turkish Cypriots trying to get jobs in the south. More and more of them are going to be looking for passports. So if the Cypriots are patient, yeah, the Greek Cypriots are patient, there will be a gradual erosion of the distinctiveness and of the independence of the Turkish part of Cyprus. And if I were the Greek Cypriots, I would just let that process continue and encourage it to the point and just wait out and hope that Erdogan's not going to live forever. Well, he's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like, yeah. but, but uh, is the integration that you're talking about, is it fast enough? to change the dynamics, say, in 10, 15, 20 years? I think it is. I may be wrong, but I think there an argument can be made. When the Turkish economy was doing marvelously well, the integration was... But Turkey is... Slowed. slowed. The, the Turkish economy is slowed. The Turkish ability to sustain northern Cyprus yeah, yeah. is not as good as it was five years ago. That's right. And... With the gas, I think this, the Republic of Cyprus' ability to sort of attract the Turkish Cypriots, because Turkish Cypriots themselves have a problem in that there are probably as many Turkish colonists in northern Cyprus as there are Turkish Cypriots, people who legitimately hold the nationality of the Republic of Cyprus, and there are tensions between them. Somebody did some calculations, and they looked reasonable to me, I may be wrong, that at the time of the plebiscite on the Anan plan, the Turkish part of Cyprus voted for the plan 
but the percentages were such that it appears that a very significant number of Turkish Cypriots voted against it. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you assume that out of every hundred citizens of the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, 60 are citizens and 40 are uh, colonists, which is the number that I've been told is accurate. And 65% of the Republic, Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus voted yes for the Annan plan, but 40% of the population is Turks, who one has to assume all of whom voted for the Annan plan, it means that less than half the Turkish Cypriots voted for it. That the well, less than half the Turkish Cypriots voted but, for but it. But in the end, nothing really came out of it. Nothing came out of it. But I think yeah. it indicates that there is a, a difference in attitude between Turkish Cypriots. Because the Turkish Cypriot looks, looks around and says, you know, I've got a safety valve if my economy goes south. I can get a Cypriot passport and go work in Manchester or go work in Stuttgart. And yet he is increasingly burdened by Turkish colonists from Turkey who are usually less educated and f are not people that he is terribly comfortable with. So I think this is going to be a long-term trend. But it all assumes, first of all, the Republic of Cyprus government has a lot of patience in building this. Yeah, that yeah. The, that the economy develops and that they set about systematically basically seducing the Turkish Cypriots. And uh, in the hope that Erdogan we'll leaves the away. political scene sooner than later. Exactly. I want to ask you, I've heard, uh, maybe it's only rumors, that Israel and Cyprus are discussing a strategic partnership that it will have military implications. Do you know anything about that? I don't know anything about that specifically. I've heard Cypriots talk about it as something they would like to do. Uh -huh. But whether they've actually embarked on doing it, I don't know. Well, I mean, but it makes to, sense from Cyprus's point of view. It's supposed to be very, very sicker yeah. right now. I mean. but, uh, but it makes sense from Cyprus's point yeah. of view. Cyprus has one threat, which is Turkey. Well, Turkey, yeah. Okay. yeah. The only, for Greece to protect Cyprus is possible, but... But Much difficult. more difficult. Much yeah. more difficult. Because now Cyprus and Israel have something in common. Yeah. They have common interests, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not just yeah. gas. Yeah, very uh, strong common interests. Very, yeah. very strong. I mean, Israeli Air Force actually trained over the skies of yeah. Cyprus as well as mm -hmm. Greece. Yeah, and the idea that Israeli airplanes will fly over the... is, is a lesson or is a demonstration of a relationship Oh, yeah. That can only help. I mean, Turkey doesn't know that Israel will stop a Turkish attack on Cyprus, but the possibility exists. That alone oh, serves yeah. as a mean, major... Major deterrence. Deter I think I, well, Turkey does not want to get involved, especially yeah. when it comes to Air Force. Yeah, I mean, it, I it mean, would be foolish. It yeah, would be very, would, very I foolish. mean, that, that would be mm -hmm. a complete disaster for yeah. them. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, I mean, ground troops don't count <laughs> in this way. I mean... It is un unthinkable for them to, to challenge Israel. Yeah. You, I could see a scenario where the Turks would be able to overrun southern Cyprus with ground forces, but the cost... Oh, would be would be enormous. It would be enormous. Yeah. I mean, it would destroy yeah. the Turkish Air Force yeah. if it tried to yeah. intervene. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because the, the, over Cyprus, the Turkish Air Force has all the disadvantage. It's one thing you'd be defending your own airspace, and it's another thing to be extending your power... Yeah over a space that is much closer to your uh, opponent. That's right. Yeah, so it would be, 
very difficult, I think, for the Turkish Air Force and for the Turkish Navy. They would have so, so you know, we look we look at all of this mess, um, and now Turkey's mm -hmm. of course Turkey's involvement in Syria, Turkey's involvement in northern Iraq. They have two two fronts actively right. fighting. A third one, for that matter, they have their own Kurds. They have the Kurds in in mm -hmm. <laughs> they're fighting the PDY right. in Syria. They well, their relation with the Kurds in Iraq is much better. Uh, over the last few years, it, it has improved dramatically. Uh, but they are really uh, entrenched right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, if there's a weak point, a, a period where the Turkey is weaker than it was over the last five, six, seven years, I think it's now. Yes. Do you agree with that, Prime? I agree completely. And But weakness is scary. Yeah, because you go, especially with Erdogan, is yeah. it? Because he's going to take the opposite approach. Yeah, he's and going he's, to. Yeah. yeah, he's going to try and prove that he's not. Weak. That he's not weak. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the part that scares me. Right. And uh, clearly, Erdogan does not strike me as a person who is carefully thought through. He has a general idea of where he's going, but you know his his dream of becoming the Ottoman example indicates that he never he didn't have any Arab friends. Because no, but, but who, where, where, I mean, look at the region today and, and yeah. see bilateral relations between every single Arab country and Turkey. It's terrible. Yeah. Perhaps with the exception of Qatar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, and I think that Qataris basically uh, deal with Turkey because they would rather deal with Syria through Turkey than deal with Syria through Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to ask, I've been always advocating something, mm -hmm. that Turkey and Qatar have... Um, Tremendous, I mean, extensive influence over Hamas. Mm -hmm. I've been saying, I've been advocating <coughs> that uh, to, to mitigate the Israeli-Palestinian mm -hmm. conflict to some extent is to get Hamas into the process. I agree. And Hamas will not get into the process unless they embrace our peace initiative mm -hmm. or renounce terrorism, renounce violence, mm -hmm. whatever that. Do you feel that it's the time is ripe for Turkey today and Qatar? I think it would have been pushed in the past if Hamas had any indication that if they made the first move, that it would be reciprocated. I had, let me go back a little bit in history. Hamas won elections in Palestine, legitimately. 2006, yeah. They won legitimate elections. And my argument at the time, and I actually was talking to people who were affected by this, was that we should judge Hamas by its actions in power rather than by its language and philosophy. Yeah. Hamas legitimately won elections. We in the Europeans cracked down on, on Hamas as a terrorist organization. They should never have won elections. This did two things. First of all, it undermined our own belief in elections. And secondly, what it said to Hamas is you have no peaceful outlet. If you make an approach to us, we are going to reject it. So what I think it requires, and I think personally I believe the Qataris would support this, is if there is a signal to Hamas through the Qataris that says, if you take an initiative that said, you know, we want to be involved in the peace process, that you'll be welcomed into it. Well, presumably Khalid Mashal 
been saying something you know yeah. we we support two states but you know they they throw it out and then they yeah. return but I think they need protected. to they don't have an assurance at least I may be wrong on this but they don't have an assurance that if they make a serious step forward that they will be invited to the table you know recently Lieberman Israel defense yeah. minister was saying you know lay down your weapon not surrender yeah mm-hmm. they put them aside stop building tunnels and we will help you building airports seaports uh, I think it's a, it's more a question of recognition yeah. in other words providing economic assistance for Hamas is important but what Hamas <coughs> needs is an acknowledgement that they are a legitimate government which the outside world has pretty much denied them I mean you know we've been talking so much about process 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 of reconciliation as a prerequisite before the Israeli Palestinians can really sit down and negotiate mm-hmm. anything right. but as far as Hamas is concerned that kind of process ought to begin someplace and you need a mediator that has influence some influence Qatar is the perfect mediator yeah but what I've seen with the Qatar is is they don't like to carry messages unless the messages are clear yeah they've, they've been burned in the past and by carrying messages between two sides that have so I think what the cutteries would really require will be a commitment from the United States and from Israel that if Hamas steps forward what would clearly be required would be the Hamas to take the first step yeah but they need assurance that if they take the first step that there will be reciprocal because what the Hamas leadership in my view needs to is recognition you know you, you're right but I want you to know something Israelis resign themselves to one basic fact and that is Gaza is going to remain independent they are not interested in going back to Gaza right. they are not interested in ruling the Gaza and if Gaza declared tomorrow statehood Israel would not lift a finger to, to do anything it, yeah. about it mm-hmm. to stop it because they are there they are by themselves that actually may be That actually might be a, not a bad solution. Yes. So what I'm saying, if the Qataris actually reach out or say, look, we want to use our influence, do, do, would you like, that is Israelis, would you reciprocate? Would you make a gesture? I think the Israelis may well because they have no territorial design as far as Gaza is I concerned. I think the problem is more one of everybody's dancing a minuet. waiting yes. for somebody else yeah. to yeah but that's where the mediator comes yeah. to play yeah. yeah yeah but everybody's sort of dancing around this who do you know I mean close enough in the gov- high I mean, government uh, everybody basically, basically most people uh, the older people in particular but I know but it's the question of they don't want to deal with the third party they want somebody they would need somebody official they would need somebody at the level of Israel's foreign yeah but minister. somebody need to bring the foreign minister to that point so but they talk to they talk to Israel oh no I know they, they talk to they Israel. talk to Israel yeah. a lot yeah. so I don't think uh, they're also a little unsure of themselves you know do I want to take because everybody this is the the worst part about a lot of these negotiations is everybody is willing to make concessions if they can be assured that the other side it's how can I say something I've seen in my dealings in the region throughout my career is they want to be sure 
that the deal is cooked before 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 it's adopted before it's adopted <laughs> yeah just like the french have done before the conference in January 15, mm -hmm. a week before that, they issued a statement mm -hmm. for the <laughs> conclusion of the conference. Yeah, right. It was the funniest thing to see. Yeah. So why are you convening? Yeah. So the final resolution was very was similar. Very similar, yeah. But minor changes, yeah. Yeah. But on something like this is basically you have, I think you have three or four parties, Hamas, Qatar, Israel, perhaps. The United States, I don't think, is yet involved in this. Uh, no, Turkey. Turkey. Turkey will be more... more where, uh, where everybody needs a... Uh, Everybody needs the other fellow to guarantee that it will turn out the way we designed it, and everybody's waiting for the other fellow. Yeah, well, this, which is unfortunate. That's what's prolonging the, the, the conflict. Well, yeah. you know, well, you know, what's really wonderful having it's a this pleasure. conversation with you. My really. pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page, and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.